0: See it coming. The podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. One of the biggest trends over the last few years has been productizing consulting services or educational services. What we've seen is an explosion of people selling what used to be a service that could be consulting or coaching and uh, turning these offerings into products that they then price down and and sell on a mass level. Now how effective is this? Because we have seen the explosion of the self-help industry. People writing books upon books on how to do everything from lose weight to becoming becoming a more effective leader do they work no that's why the self-help industry is thriving so is this new trend toward productizing education is it just going to fizzle out like an old rocket or is this going to be a breakthrough i'm curious about this because i believe that it's a billion dollar industry and i think it's going to go off the rails unless somebody figures out how to actually crack the code and provide lasting value for people as opposed to doing a bait where they come, they take the hook and then the results they get, eh, not so much. A little while ago I met a gentleman named Todd Sivers and Todd runs a company, a personal coaching company, behavior coaching company called IncredibleAdvantage.com and he can talk for hours on this subject and I thought it'd be great to have him aboard. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you Mark, thanks for having me. Give me a little background. On yourself, you came up not you came up uh, doing this out of a passion. It wasn't something you just said. Oh, I'm gonna university. I'm gonna become a coach.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So I started out in Christian ministry and uh, worked in ministry in a couple of different churches for a long time, and kind of came through this process where. Right there in the church, I was doing ministry work. I was doing counseling and this sort of stuff. And seeing the exact thing that you were just talking about, people don't change. Mm-hmm. And it was super frustrating to me. And so I started having conversations with some friends who were life coaches. And they they got me into this model of your problem in the church is nobody's investing in their own improvement. Mm -hmm. So if you would get them to invest, a percentage of them who invest will change. And I was intrigued by that. So I started playing with that, working with them to move some of the folks I was counseling into that sort of coaching model. And sure enough, a large portion of them would not invest in themselves no matter what. Mm -hmm. But the portion that did Out of everyone who chose to go with the coaching model and chose with my encouragement to actually invest in making change in themselves and had that personal relationship with a coach, huge percentage of them made lasting changes in their life. Uh, I don't have the scientific numbers, but off the top of my head, in the 80% range of those who did that actually saw lasting change. And that really moved me in this direction.
0: Now, when you're talking about investing in the change, are you talking about putting dollars down?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the it, motivator- it isn't always dollars, dollars. For somebody yeah. that's in a really hard time, somebody who's struggling with addictions or something like this, sometimes it's a matter of investing in themselves in terms of, I'm going to show up and do physical labor in exchange for this rather than dollars. But they invest something that's a signifying that they're putting something out there for the sake of their own change.
0: So what does that tell you?
1: Well, it tells me that that's an insen- essential element, and oftentimes the twenty-five bucks we're paying or twenty bucks we're paying for a book isn't enough skin in the game to really move the needle. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's it, because I mean I am a self-help junkie. I buy the books, the business improvement books. I read the magazines. I you know I have the I have the Quora. I have the Medium. All the things on psychology. And uh, mm-hmm. the result of it is a big fat zero. And I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking that if I had to pay somebody a hundred bucks an hour, I'd be damn sure to get a hundred bucks of value out of that.
1: Yep. And that's a big part of why coaching works. I've seen some really fair to average coaches make some tremendous differences in people. Now, I've seen people that, that just sucked at coaching that it wouldn't matter how much money you threw at them. You're not going to get the results mm-hmm. you need. But- Uh, It doesn't take a tremendous amount of talent in coaching to make a change when somebody's already made the decision that they're invested in the change.
0: What are the elements of a coach that can draw out that motivation to change?
1: The biggest element of a coach that draws out change is the willingness to shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) People will solve their own problems if you just let them.
1: Absolutely, you have to draw that out of them, but most people are so afraid of silence, especially in a conversation for which they 're getting paid, that they will talk over the solution rather than let somebody come to conclusions. When somebody comes to their own conclusion, they own it it 's theirs. When you do it for them, eh, maybe I take it, maybe i don 't
0: you know that that 's funny because that applies in, in what I do to building brands. Uh, when I work with clients that are notoriously difficult, you involve them at an early stage at the whiteboard marker stage and they, you let them, you lead them to the idea, then they come up with it and no matter what you do, you can't kill the idea anymore because now suddenly they own it, they created it and instead of standing in front of the judge and having them shoot down idea after idea, you have a hard time holding them back. It's a, it's an incredible piece of psychology. Yes. Yes. So tell me tell me about your company tell me about incredible advantage.
1: So incredible advantage is a uh, is a membership model organization. So we have mm-hmm. three tiers of membership. We launched this officially last January after about 5 years of testing the the system that we focus around the four switches system which I think we'll talk a little bit about mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the organization itself has three tiers of membership anybody can afford to invest in their own personal change through what we do and we guarantee dramatic results.
0: Hold on now. You're touching on something that just kind of flies in the face of everything you've just said. You've got okay. tiers of tiers of membership here so you've I assume that well, I don't assume because you and I have talked about it. You have got a, a very, very uh, inexpensive model of membership. Yep. Now, we do. doesn't that fly in the face of forcing people to invest in change? Absolutely not. How's that?
1: Because that okay, our bottom tier level, this twenty dollars a month membership, that uh, kind of the starting package, moves the needle for somebody who isn't making any change at all. Mm-hmm. It gets them moving in the direction of making change. And when they come in and get involved with us and build a relationship with someone here, mm-hmm. they're constantly being encouraged to raise the bar. Mm-hmm. And so unlike if you're walking through the mall and you see this book uh, at the front of a bookstore, if there are any bookstores left in malls anymore, uh, (laughs) browsing through Amazon and you see the book that promises to solve all of your current urgent problems and you buy the thing and you flip through the first chapter and then you're like, oh, that's cool. I'll get back to that maybe next Wednesday. And there it is on the shelf. You're constantly, when you're involved in this and you're investing monthly, you're constantly being in contact with somebody who's helping you keep this at top of mind.
0: So even if you're not invested a lot financially, but you set up a contract so that there is somebody. It's almost like uh, deciding to play tennis. Well, you got to play tennis. You don't have to go jogging because you jog by yourself. You can put it off. Sure. But tennis, there's going to be somebody standing at the court waiting yeah, for you. Yeah.
1: If and, you have a court date, you're going to show up to be there when you said you were going to be there. Most so people anyway.
0: even if you're not even if you're not sticking a lot of money into it, the, the the key is to have a real live person sitting there tapping their clock waiting for you.
1: Yeah, momentum works. If yeah. you can just move from A to somewhere, you've got something started
0: now i've heard a lot of tell uh, about results uh, you know in marketing we it's it's kind of the, the new mantra when you say well what should i do to market myself and you say anything and <laughs> a lot of times uh just creating change is is what people need they don't need to yeah. the positive change or the right change they, they just need to create something because we all get stuck in our patterns do you see that
1: Oh, sure. Uh, one of the biggest issues that I struggle with is people who want to talk about change and only talk about change. And there's a lot of people like that. So I would rather work with somebody who's ready to make 100 mistakes and, and fall backwards then work with somebody who's just going to make sure that they get it just right and perfect, and then maybe stick one toe in the water a little bit. Somebody makes a mistake and moves backwards ten, you know, ten steps from where they were. Well, now they're uncomfortable, mm-hmm.
0: and at least that motivates them to move forward.
1: Now, or try again.
0: L- let me let me put that in a bigger context. You know, we're seeing a whole bunch of global forces. We're seeing. Uh, technological disruption at an unprecedented rate. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the US and around the world we're seeing political disruption. Uh, Although I think in the US the political disruption came about because people kind of wanted to go back to what was familiar olden days kind of Norman Rockwell. Uh, Do you see more people wanting to cocoon themselves because they're afraid of change because there is too much change?
1: Absolutely. So you're digging right into the four switches system, the heart of what we do when you talk about this sort of thing. So I want to talk specifically about one of the four switches, the context switch, right? The context switch is about how you think and make decisions. So what we're seeing right now globally is growing pains, mental growing pains of humanity as a whole. We're coming off thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of being anchored to a concrete decision process. Mm -hmm. So I have this thing within the the context switch called the five decision anchors. Everybody anchors themselves to one of these things when when they make decisions. And the vast majority of people throughout the vast majority of history have had a concrete decision anchor. So everything is black and white. Everything is this way. It shouldn't be that way. It always was this way. It will always be this way. This is the way people make – most people make decisions most of the time. What we have butting up against that now is this uh, circumstantial decision anchor. Mm -hmm. So on the opposite side of this concept is a circumstantial decision anchor where everything depends. Well, yeah, but – Mm-hmm. This person had this experience, and that person had that experience, and everything. You have to look at all the layers of circumstance behind something before you can really understand it. And so we have these two extremes butting up against each other all the time. So you have a lot of liberal thinkers who have had the last, in here in America, the last eight years with President Obama who have seen you know hope, the audacity of hope change and all this stuff and now we have trump coming back and we have this um you know republicans in the white house in this move backwards towards this more staunch separatist perspective and i don't mean to say that everything that trump is doing is backwards i'm not politically involved at all i don't want to go there Mm -hmm. but this is definitely a more conservative perspective and a more concrete anchored perspective than we've had for the last eight years And so you have a lot of people looking at that concrete anchor and all that it means to them as the end of the world because we're going back to the Stone Age.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and that creates conflict.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, to me, looking at it as a Canadian, as an outsider, um, I see a return to order. Mm-hmm. Uh, a return to somebody making the decision, decisions for us, and 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 what you said, are we're, we're it's a coming of uh, you know growing pains. You as a teenager, you want to stretch, and you're the man. You uh, you can make up your own mind. Oh, can you lend me twenty bucks, mom? Because I want to go get a soda. And so it's this. Yeah, juxtapose- they want all the freedom and none of the responsibility. That's right. So I want to lean on a guy or an administration or a philosophy that is going to make my mind up for me. Ah, thank you very much. Because <laughs> I'm like a teenager. I've had too much independence. You know, I've been thrown out on my own and now I just want to come home and have my mom do my laundry for me and go back to being a kid.
1: And that comes from that de- that uh, decision anchor of circumstance because in order to make a decision, You've got to think everything through to the nth degree. And that hurts. Oh, Yeah, it hurts your brain. It's hard. That hurts, yeah. And so it's easier just, you know, okay, make these decisions for us.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, t- I mean, you led into it. You're teasing us a bit there. Tell me about the other switches.
1: Okay, so that's the context switch, how you think and make decisions. There's three others. There is the comparison switch. Which is the one I normally start with. Comparison switch is how you see the world and your place in it. The competence switch is how you relate to other people and things, all of your relationships in your life. Then you have the context switch, and then the confidence switch is how you feel, basically, about all that stuff.
0: While we're in the break, I wanted to bring up my book, Didn't See It Coming. It deals specifically with what Todd is talking about here and what a lot of other experts say about the future and how unpredictable it is. You can get it on Amazon, or you can go right to my website, markstoiber.com. The book is called Didn't See It Coming. Check it out, and uh, let me know what you think. Todd, we just finished off talking about the four switches, and I want to dig into each of them. Can you take us through, uh, you know, just a bit of an explanation here so we get a handle on this? Because I feel that as you're doing it, the onion is just getting peeled back, and you're going, oh, I see this. Oh, I understand that.
1: Sure. Let me give you a basic picture of each of these switches. We, we usually start with the comparison switch unless somebody has some specific issue that speaks to another switch. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how you see the world in your place in it. And everybody, of course, has a different paradigm. Everybody sees the world based on their own background and experiences. And so they make choices and decisions based on that. And this is why two people can see the same exact thing and have a totally different story of what it meant. Mm
0: -hmm. It's like your worldview, where you come from. Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. So just in real broad strokes, general terms, uh, the comparison switch is, uh, is this difference between people who have a predisposition towards being sensitive towards other people. So these are the mother hens. These are folks who have this sense of, I really want to make sure that your experience is positive, that you have what you need, that you're comforted. And there's a lot of people who are predisposed generally in that direction. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite end of the switch, there are people who are predisposed to win all the time in every possible situation. Mm -hmm. And so they are driven to go, 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 get it done, get it done. And if I run over you in the process, well, that's just cost of progress. Mm -hmm. And so you have tremendous potential for conflict between these two positions. Yeah, I can imagine. And so uh, we look at this switch from the perspective of these are both good things. It's good to win. It's good to get things done, and it's good to care about other people. But if we can put those things together in the middle, if we can move towards the value of progress for the person who's really concerned about No Child Left Behind Mm – and then if we can move towards the concern for having inclusion of other people for the person who's dead set to get this done, we actually come up with a much better situation for everyone involved, a place where we can really be synergistic.
0: Now, can the, can the leopard change his stripes or can the leopard change his spots? If I am a, a hard-charging entrepreneur and uh, you know, everybody else is just kind of collateral damage for me, How do I change my stripes?
1: So you hit on something really, really important to me. This is really a big part of where I come from with this stuff in that I was a personality type junkie for a long time. Myers-Briggs, DISC, Kierski, all these systems Mm -hmm. that we use all the way back to Hippocrates and the four humors. Mm -hmm. I loved that stuff, couldn't get enough of it, read uh, Carl Jung, all this stuff through the ages about Persona, and it it came to a point where I had learned so much about it, and I observed enough in life that I started to recognize the serious difference between what all these people were teaching and what I saw out there in the real world. In that they're teaching through all these assessments. You go and take a 20, 100, 200 question assessment and it tells you you're this kind of person. These initials, this, uh, mm-hmm. this type of bent, this
0: is who you are. How you play so, in a team, things like that.
1: Yes, yes. And so they're what they do from that point of assessment universally is they say, learn to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Get somebody else to do the crap that you're no good at. And and do the things that you're really good at and you'll have a good life. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, Mm -hmm. except every single time that I saw somebody go through one of those assessments, I always saw that same person say, yeah, I like this and this and this about me. But then there's this thing about me like I'm okay with having, you know, being weak in one area and strong and everybody knows we're going to be weak in one area and strong in another. But I don't like this. About me, like mm-hmm. I just don't like it. I don't want to be that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And their answer to this was well, too bad. Yeah, and I couldn't live with that because I, I I've remember, seen people I remember make,
0: being in I remember being in university, and I always said to everybody, you know, I love math. The problem is, math doesn't love me back. But it didn't yeah. stop me from doing math.
1: Right. Yeah, and and the fact that you were telling yourself that you weren't necessarily good at math didn't didn't serve you well. Yeah. (laughs) It only served to perpetuate the problem. Yeah. People can change. People can change dramatically. And I've seen it happen. A true story from my childhood, I had a friend uh, from a very young age in childhood, a neighbor, who had a younger brother. This guy was a very straight-laced kind of quiet kid, um, very easygoing And his younger brother died suddenly in a tragic accident when we were, me and him, probably uh, about 12 years old. So I saw this boy who lost his younger brother instantly change personality. He went from an easygoing, smooth, kind of quiet, laid-back guy to a spastic, nutty, uh, cut-up, the class clown type of guy. Um, and, and this wasn't just the grieving period. This was the rest of his life. He he just completely changed personality. And that that always stuck in my mind as I went through these persona tests. What changed? What moved for this guy? And I, I wanted to figure that out. And eventually I did. We're perfectly capable of completely changing our personality. If we want to bad enough or if we go through an experience that affects us strongly enough.
0: Are, are you saying it's a, it's a catalyst that hits us, that forces us down another path Oftentimes, oftentimes. We
1: can choose to do it on our own, but it's really hard. It's like losing 100 pounds, you know? Uh, chances are it's gonna go a lot easier if you have the bariatric surgery than it is if you try to do it on your own,
0: but you can You know, it's funny because what you're running into now is, uh, is uh, the components of a great story, too you have someone who is you know the the degenerate the, the the partier the crazy guy and then he sees something that changes his life and it sends him down another path creating a company to help the poor or you know devoting his life to a service and it makes for a terrific story uh, mm-hmm. do you see it happen a lot
1: the more common story is uh, Susan Boyle mm-hmm. or uh, this fellow that had the golden voice i can't think of his name right, but he was right. all, the all over the news guy school. Right. Yeah. 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 So he was nowhere. He was homeless. And then all of a sudden he did all this great stuff and he was everywhere and he was talking to everybody. And who's heard of him in the last uh, year or so, except for a where are they now kind of follow up. Um, And the same thing with Susan Boyle. I often compare uh, Susan Boyle with uh, with some of the greatest singers in history. Uh, There's no question about her voice, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't want to be that person. And so there's nothing in the world that will make her that center of the stage presence because she doesn't want to be.
0: Okay, that that just unlocks a whole big can of worms for me because, uh, you know, I I love being an entrepreneur. I love starting up stuff. I love doing this whole thing. But I've always been the sort of person who throws myself into uncertain situations. Now, uh, we're seeing, you know, corporate America – and to a lesser extent, you know, the, in Europe as was well, that, that big companies are shedding jobs to technology mm-hmm. and those jobs just aren't coming back. As a result, we're seeing a lot of accidental entrepreneurs come out into the world. Yeah. Uh, do you think that we're up to it? Is the corporate structure just an artificial structure that's cocooned people and made them fat and lazy? Or do you think that we're, we're heading into a time where we're going, well, you're not an entrepreneur. What the heck are you? You're just a loser. Uh, are there a whole bunch of entrepreneurs I think out there who have talent but just don't want to be that guy?
1: I think it's a little bit of all of those things. Hmm. I think that we have come through an entire mindset as a, as a global society of you know my father's generation. My father's 79 years old. My father came through this bubble hmm. where he could work for a corporation for his entire career – he, he retired at 55 years old, and he's had a couple odd jobs and odds and ends since then. He wasn't upper class. by uh, He wasn't the top management whatsoever. He was very middle row management. But he retired at 55 years old from the company that he'd put in, I don't know, 28 years or something like that. I don't remember. He was mm-hmm. almost out of high school. And, and he's 79 year now, and he's been retired for almost as long as he worked. And that was just a freak thing. That doesn't happen. That's never happened in history and it never will again. Yeah. But our generation, I don't know exactly how old you are, Mark, but we saw that generation get that experience and we want some.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny because being an entrepreneur, I, you know, I'm 52 years old now. Um, uh-huh. And my dad was an entrepreneur He had he, or a small businessman. Uh, my mm-hmm. grandpa worked for the company, got pensioned out at fifty-five, yep. and uh, I completely missed that boat. And I don't think I yep. would have liked it that much anyway. Uh, but God knows, you know, I have I have wet dreams about a steady paycheck now. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, well, that's it. all that is is a dream. Yeah. The only segment in which there's any hope of a steady payment and a, a retirement or pension is government services, and we all know that's a bubble.
0: Well, and I also, you know, I live in a government town, and I see the government types walking down the street, and they don't, do not look like happy people. You trade a lot for a steady paycheck.
1: Yeah, I, you know, and and you try. I personally, now you're getting into a kind of a pet peeve area, but you have these conversations, and my wife and I talk about these conversations, and it's, um, you know, I can't even give it justice because I can't remember the other type of grass, but we we talk about uh, fescue a lot because it's these conversations about what kind of grass are we going to going to plant in our yard, and, and <laughs> what kind of. What kind of uh middle range sedan are we going to buy in the next two years when this lease or this payment is up, and it's just all these seinfeld conversations conversations about nothing right. and there's just no depth to that life and it would it would make me crazy i can't live in a subdivision personally i don't i don't know where you live but um I just can't I can't be around those people. No, <laughs> I just no, can't no. do it. <laughs>
0: no, I think, I think we we're cut from the same cloth. So let's let's I'm gonna I'm gonna refocus us here. We've talked yeah. about, we've talked about um, one of the switches. Let's let's move on to the other ones.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the we're moving on from the comparison switch to the competence switch. This one's about relationships. <laughs> So and, and we have this five level of relationship. And we kind of touched on this in something we were talking about uh, a little earlier. Uh, the, the teenager who wants to have his parents kind of you know, take care of everything. But at the same time, he wants the freedom to go and do whatever he wants to go and do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually got one of those right at the moment. So this is you know, near and dear to my heart. I've got one left in the house. And, uh, and he's doing great, but he's right at that age where one day it's like, yeah, I've got this, I'm taking full responsibility. And the next day it's like, you've got to get up and go to school today, son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, we have these two extremes. On the one end, people are fully dependent. They need somebody else or something else to take full responsibility for them. They won't take any for themselves. And on the other hand, we have these people who are fully independent. They want everything to be perfectly divided fair. Now, they don't mind if it's a little fairer for them than for you, as long as it's fair for them. Mm-hmm. But they want this sense of divided responsibility where I got my thing and I can take control of my thing. And you can stay over there on your side of the fence and and we'll get along fine. Mm-hmm. And... To bring those two extremes to the center where there's more power, we have to move beyond that thinking. We have to move to a place where there are times when we have to take responsibility for other people as good members of society. There are people who need our help in moments and sometimes in lifetimes. And then there are a lot of people in our society today who don't need our help who are actually being ruined by us giving it uh, on on a governmental level. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be balanced well. But there are people who need that. They need for us to take responsibility for them. But there's an awful lot of people out there that we need to share responsibility with, where sometimes we can give other people responsibility and grow them into stronger, more capable people. And sometimes we can take responsibility from people for their own good. Yeah. And so at the center of that switch, you have this interdependence place where we're together far more capable than we could ever be as a bunch of
0: independents
1: or as a bunch of people who are dependent on some great power somewhere to take care of us.
0: If you're enjoying this podcast, do me a huge favor, do my guests a huge favor. Go to iTunes and search for Didn't See It Coming, Mark Stoiber, and subscribe. It will only take you about 30 seconds and it would mean so much to me. Thanks again for listening. All right, we're back with Todd Sivers, And Todd, we just left off. We've done the comparison. We've done the competence switch. Let's go on to the final two. So we talked around the context
1: switch because we talked about these uh, anchors, these decision anchors. So on the one hand, you have this concrete anchor, this place where uh, people are tied to tradition. They're tied to the way things have always been. And sometimes, for some people, the way things have always been, it's just been the last 30 or 40 years because that's their entire paradigm. That's as far back as they can see. Uh, and then some people are steeped in religious traditions or um, family traditions that have them going back many, many, many generations. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, you have this uh, perspective where everything is about circumstances, where you've got to look at each individual and each situation very carefully and dig out every single circumstance of that specific thing in order to make a decision. And so you have these two extremes where on the one end, it's very hard to change. On the other hand, we change all the time. In fact, we never stick to the same thing twice. Mm And as you move towards the center far enough, you end up at a place of collaboration, a place where we recognize that circumstances change things and we recognize that we can't always keep things the same. But we move enough in the concrete direction that we get traction for our ideas and enough in the circumstantial direction that we see opportunity and actually have new ideas. And that brings us to this place of collaboration, where we can be not only personally our most creative, mm-hmm. but also be able to expand that creativity across a lot of people.
0: Bring everybody into the loop. Yeah. Huh. This, you know, it sounds it sounds fascinating because uh, it, there's uh, there's just fundamental human behavior here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how. Are You know, we talk about um, uh, people on social media becoming anti-social, talk about people becoming sort of socially retarded because of technology. (laughs) You are on the front lines of this. You've got your four triggers. You've got uh, people that you work with either on a subscription basis which is extremely inexpensive or personal Mm -hmm. consultation. Where are you seeing the world going just as far as these fundamentals of human behavior and bringing us back in touch with what makes us count?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to make a big answer, really small. And, and when I go in this direction, I'll just warn you up front, I lose a lot of people. Okay. So, so I try not to go in this direction very often unless I'm making a very specific point. But we are on the threshold of a major societal change.
0: Oh, I, so, like, the, I like the way this sounds already. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you, and I don't mean to put you on
1: point here, Mark, but this is the question I ask to, to move in this direction. If you were to make $100 an hour, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, and most people who I talk to in general aspire to make 100 bucks an hour consistently – Mm-hmm. So if you were to make 100 bucks an hour, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, how long would it take you to make a billion dollars? We have a billionaire in the White House here in America. Uh, it's a timely question. What do you think? How long would it take you to make a billion dollars at 100 bucks an hour?
0: I don't know. I, I, I'll just take a wild <laughs> guess. Like I said, math didn't like me as much as I like math, but <laughs> I would say it would probably take me um, forever, two generations.
1: <laughs> uh, it would take you 4,808 years.
0: I was off a little, wasn't I? <laughs> Yeah, and everybody is. Everybody really?
1: Everybody is because we see, I mean, unless you pull out a calculator and you really do the math, we see the world in a very linear scope because every day comes after the day. Every hour is 60 minutes long. We schedule our time. Most of us, according to our Dollars by hours job. And so even if we don't work dollars for hours, we're still in the counting the hours process because that's kind of the way the world works Mm -hmm. on a calendar. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way the world works in reality. So I don't have time to go into the chessboard story, which is another one I like to tell, but real briefly, um, I use the chessboard, 64 squares on a chessboard to explain this, you know, go further into exponential math. Mm-hmm. So there's this old story of the inventor of the chessboard um, asking the, uh, the emperor of India for rice as a reward for making the chessboard. Mm-hmm. Or for making the, the game of chess. So he asked for a single grain of rice on the first square, two grains of rice on the second square, four on the third, et cetera, doubling the number of grains of rice.
0: Exponential. All the way racing, up through right?
1: the – yes. Exponential growth. That's what this is designed to explain. So if you look at 64 squares on a chessboard and you look at starting with a single grain of rice, you think, well, how far can you go in 64 squares? Well, the answer is if you double, just double the number of rice grains each square over just 64 squares, you end up with 18 quintillion grains of rice. And that's a lot of rice.
0: I did not see that coming.
1: Now, now to put that in perspective, in real time, if you were to grow rice on every square inch of ground on the world, and it grew as efficiently as it does in rice patties today, it would take you three billion years to grow that much rice that's exponential math and the reason i go into that at all is because we are in a in exponential world it just looks linear Mm -hmm. because we're still on that first row of the chessboard and when i do this live i have a little glass jar of rice it's about an inch tall by an inch wide and it's about a third of the way full And that's the first row of the chessboard if you add it up. Mm -hmm. It's full of that much rice. And so it makes a great visual for this. We're on the first row of the chessboard. If you look back throughout history, we're in an exponential world. Everything in terms of growth you see goes on an exponential curve, but we're just at the beginning. And so all this craziness that it's felt like we've experienced over the last 20, 30 years or so,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it's just getting started. And all of that to to say that we have a society that's being divided between those who function exponentially and those who function linearly. And so we have these people in the world who have tremendous financial power because of long-term exponential functioning. So we have eight people in the world right now who have more
0: money than half of the rest of us. Eight people. It's, it's it's crazy when you think about it, but is it how do you become an exponential thinker? Because what you say, uh, you know, I, I fully agree with it, but it just seems like such a big idea for most people. I I look at it as a as someone who is used to billing out in projects and hours for time, which is you know, we discussed this, it automatically caps you out at a certain number. A hundred dollars yeah. an hour, forty-hour yeah. work week. Um But shifting your brain around, even if you talk about it at a cocktail party, uh, how do we shift our brain around? How do we not just go crazy?
1: Well, the first thing is we have to acknowledge we don't naturally function in exponential terms. Mm -hmm. So we constantly underestimate what's possible. And that's a huge factor for business people like you and me because we're often – Creating plans that sell ourselves short of what we're capable of. And in a world where there are so few people getting so far ahead, that's not a good place to be.
0: Huh. This is this is very interesting. So, you know, as a coach, you're on the front lines, you you deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, you deal with a lot of people from all, all walks of life. How do you help them come to grips with this, or can you?
1: The first thing is awareness. And so that's what we focus on initially is there's this whole world of potential out there that you haven't tapped. And very briefly, I go through this process where uh, we explain to people that the average person living the average life, that person in the subdivision that we talked about earlier, that's Mm -hmm. concerned about the type of grass he has, that average person is functioning at about 6% of his potential. And I can, I can prove that to you mathematically if we go through the, the process. Uh, that's probably something for another time because mm. it takes a little while. But uh, the point is, that's not much. It's like it 6%. <laughs> and so we have this tremendous, I mean, how many different scientists through the ages have looked at the human brain and said things to the effect of this is the most amazing thing in all of known creation? And what do we do with it? We play Candy Crush. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, also, it, it's also frightening to think of what we would actually be capable of if we tapped 10% of yeah. it, not even 100%. Well, that's, that's it. I mean,
1: yeah, you may not make it to, to the level of some of these multi-billionaires, but if you make a substantial change – a substantial growth in what you're doing with what you have. You don't have to create something out of nothing. You have what you need to grow exponentially. And if you did it just just a little bit, it would make a huge difference in your experience of life, more than that, in your children's experience of life.
0: Okay, I, I want to finish off by having you walk me through this because I'm getting excited at the idea that just even recognition that i'm only using six percent of my brain because you know i'm an entrepreneur i go to bed at night i'm scared about what the next day will bring and and where the money's going to come from and the new business ideas it's exciting it's terrifying it's the story of my life uh, so how do you you know now i've recognized i'm only using six percent i go you know what if i used seven even eight percent of my brain uh i could probably effect tremendous change. So walk me through this. As an entrepreneur uh, who works with a lot of startups, um, how do I put this in motion?
1: The first thing to put it in motion is to go through these switches with a real honest perspective. And one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings is we tend to paint ourselves with really, really broad strokes and really, really pretty colors. Mm -hmm. So we judge everyone else on the planet according to what they do, but we judge ourselves according to what we intend, and that is a huge difference. So the very first step is to start getting a very realistic picture of you from other people's perspectives so that you can recognize where you're falling short of your picture of you. Then you can build from there.
0: Uh-huh. From you know, it's, there, it's funny. It's funny. I do this. I do this with brands all the time, where I say, uh-huh. uh, "A brand." It's oh, not yeah, what you true. say it is. It's what other people say it is. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's the starting point because there you can break them down to their reality, and then you can start building them up to what they actually want to be or what they thought they were. Yeah. So there's a lot of similarity. The process of building people back up from there then, for me, is taking them through these switches and recognizing not where they think they are, but where their actual history, according to the people around them, says they've been consistently and where they would want to move from there.
0: That is one of the hardest things in the world because – I go, I go out and I ask people for constructive criticism after every project. And it, I can tell you, it's, it's really hard. It is hard. Because yeah. if you people ask for don't constructive... don't want to tell you the truth. Yeah, because uh, that's why I always have other people doing it for me. I, I say, well, you know, how did Mark do on this? Uh, yeah. and, and when you get the results back, you, you automatically get mad. Because you know, if they're talking to somebody else, then they don't pull their punches. If they're talking to you, they, they'll varnish it up and shine it up real nice. Um, but yeah, and at the end of the day, it just, it helps you, but it's, yeah. it's hard to hear.
1: It is hard to experience, but isn't that the, the essence of real growth? It's huh. not the comfort zone.
0: That's a big idea. You know, if you keep that and the 6% in your head, uh, <laughs> I think that that's invaluable learning right there that, that it's not comfortable. I, you know, I've read it again and again and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole thing that the whole it's all about change it's up to you to change you've got to do the change change isn't comfortable anybody you admire has gone through uncomfortable change and then the rubber hits the road and somebody says I don't like the way you do this and you go what what are you talking about you know yeah and you can say it as much as you want rationalize it but when somebody actually offers you a tool for making yourself better you rebel because yes It's what you intend as opposed to what you are.
1: And there's a huge volume of people who want to buy the book and put it on the shelf. Because once I've made that move, once I've spent the 10, 15 bucks, then I've done something. So yay me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Now I can go back to doing whatever it was that I actually wanted to do instead of making the change that I know I should.
0: Very, very big insights. Todd Sivers, incredibleadvantage.com. Thank you very, very much for sharing some of these insights with us. Thank you, Mark. You've made me extremely uncomfortable, and I think that's probably a good thing. (laughs) That's my job. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark m-a-r-c at markstoyver.com m-a-r-c-s-t-o-i-v-e-r dot have a good one